the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When can a fallen pastor be back in a church? And then, are we really at war with the world? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, happy Tuesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Aubrey, happy Tuesday. How are we today? Thank you. We are wonderful, Brian. Enjoying this, uh, what feels like we're finally having spring weather. I almost don't want to say it. I almost don't want to say it out loud. I did. I did pack up the winter gear and put it in the storage bin in the basement. It might have been a mistake. I might be pulling out again in a couple weeks because I know how when, Chicago works. But I when did it. The, when the six inches of snow happens in the middle of April, I will be blaming you and I you know, alone. I know. I, I jumped the gun. I was trying to do it sort of as a, like a declaration. Like, this will be <laughs> so. Because <laughs> I have power over the weather, as we know. <laughs> I am declaring this to be over. So. I declare. <laughs> that's an office reference in case that people are wondering is, that is we're glad that you're with us today you'll go, go always find old shows or if you missed today's show at our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast subscribe rate review you can also find us online at 1160hope.com facebook twitter and instagram at common good talk all right aubrey uh we haven't talked in a while about somewhat of an evergreen topic when can disgraced fallen pastors get back onto a church staff. And what is bringing that on now? Well, it is Carl Lentz. Carl Lentz, as a reminder, he is the ousted pastor of Hillsong, New York City. He has now landed on staff at Transformation Church, a predominantly uh, black non-denominational mega church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that is led by pastor, author, and uh, popular YouTuber Michael Todd. Uh, It's a huge church, and they said a source close to them said that uh, Lentz is coming on to help with vision, but he is coming on staff. He has relocated his family to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they've uh, been—he is also—and maybe you could touch on this as well— Uh, In the meantime, he has launched a consulting and coaching business, and his clients include many churches. Okay. Uh, So background, Carl Lentz, in this article at Religion News, he was once labeled as the hype priest by GQ magazine, well-known for having a church of many NBA players, celebrities such as Justin Bieber and all sorts of other celebrities. Uh, But he ended up having an extramarital affair uh, that became huge news in New York yeah, City. Right. The tabloids, New York Post, and others were reporting on it regularly. Uh, his silence is going to come to an end in May 19th with the release of XFX's docuseries cause, covering the Hillsong scandals that mm. will feature the first interviews with Carl Lentz and mm. his wife, Laura. 
Hmm. Uh, so the people at Transformation Church said after two years of Carl being in his own discovery and healing process, he has shown readiness to use his God-given gifts towards the local church again. We believe in Carl, his marriage, his skill set, and his restoration. So to say he's going to be dealing with vision, Carl Lentz is a master communicator. He will yeah, he be is. preaching at Transformation yeah, absolutely. Church. Absolutely, he will be. There is no doubt. So, Aubrey, let me give this to you from both sides. You you t- tell me where you want to go. On okay. the one hand, this feels like uh, yet another celebrity pastor being put into a mega church because yeah. of gifting Talent. and because yeah. of name and all that stuff. Yeah. On the other hand, Transformation Church says, listen, it's been two years. He's gone through a ton of counseling. His marriage is still together. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's time for him to get back in the game. So what say you, Aubrey Sampson, about Carl Lentz's situation here and in general? Oh, Brian. I mean, I'm like sick to my stomach over it. And let me be the first to say I am a hypocrite. And so what I'm going to say, you can call (laughs) me. You can say what you want to say about me. Uh, I, it is not my place to say whether two years is enough time. We know that the Lord restored Peter after he denied him. Like God is a God of restoration. You know, it doesn't strike me as someone who is humble and, and, um, changed and transformed. What's that? Somebody who wants to be a lead pastor again, or be on Mm. the platform again, or be at a mega church again. Like I, I don't know what it is that we think one, two years is enough time for this. Again, that's not necessarily my place to judge or not judge, but two, why restoration to the pulpit? Why mm. restoration to, to church leadership? Yes, be restored to the church community. Yes, be restored. This coaching, this strategizing, it's a great idea. But to now say this guy who was a mega church pastor and pretended to be a sports agent in order to have an affair with a woman. So there was deceit. There was burnout. There was cheating. There was power hungry. There was celebrity. There was pictures of him with his shirt off in just totally inappropriate ways. We're going to go, oh, he's so talented. I mean, this is what it is. He's so talented. We're going to bring him back and we're going to say it's in the name of restoration. And we believe him. All those things may be true, but why restoration to the pulpit? And this is where I know I sound like a hypocrite. I'm not, I'm not beyond sin. I am not beyond a failure. Like if it's not for the grace of God and people holding me accountable, any of us on any sized platform could fall. And yet there is something to me about the mantle of a pastor that says we need faithful, faithful people of integrity. Mm. And this is not a man of integrity. And two years is not enough time to say, okay, now he's a man of integrity. Like maybe a decade from now we start to have the conversation. And again, I I know I can sound judgmental and unfair and blah, 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 blah. But I I think the other thing that I feel frustrated about with this, Brian, is I one of my research projects for my master's program was about restoration and specifically about women in leadership. Women who have this kind of experience, which they don't there haven't been enough women in leadership to have this experience, but women who quote unquote fail are never given another chance. And Mm. so it's also very patriarchal in a way that I think is unfair and detrimental to the church. But, but as I'm saying all of this, I go, well, can God restore him? Yes. Can God save a marriage? Yes. Can God still use him? Yes. I mean, we look at Paul, he was a murderer of Christians and look at what God did. He was a religious zealot and look at what God did. 
So I don't want to say that Carlin's is beyond the grace and power of God and that the church is beyond hearing from him. I just don't understand why the need to restore somebody to this specific role. I think that's yeah. what it is. Restore him in a different way. Well, it feels like the celebrity culture we have. Of, yeah, it does. Um, you know, of kind of that, that adrenaline of being on stage for one, it's going to help transformation church. If by help, you mean get numbers and get yeah, buzz. Uh, totally. Uh, you mentioned, I almost have a harder problem with the, in the meantime, he's had a coaching and consulting mm. business, mm. including with churches. Like that speaks to me of, I guess churches. Yeah. I didn't think about that. that yeah. That is troublesome. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an old thing in sports world, Aubrey, that, uh, the 24th man on the baseball team, right? That's the last person on the bench. And the uh, ace pitcher are going to be treated differently. Like if one of them got arrested yeah. for something, one of them might get released and one of them is going to be kept on the team because talent. Yeah. And that's just, that's what it feels like how the, especially the mega church world works. Mm -hmm. And it just can't, it yeah. just can't. Yeah. It can't be about, uh, talent. It can't be about charisma. It's got to be about um, integrity proved out over time. So, yeah. hey, come on staff on a background, a very behind the scenes role yep. and live it out. Let's continue yep. to meet. We're going to put we're going to pay for that. Your counseling going forward. Mm -hmm. We want a counselor to go a Christian mm -hmm. counselor who's got some history in this to say he or she is ready to yeah. Done all the work, marriage good, this good, this good, and talk about it from the front. Yeah. Uh, but call me cynical. I'm confident that's not what is happening that's here. That's not what's and happening. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, you might be thinking, well, why do we care? It's not our church. Well, it is what how the church is, becomes painted. Totally. This is a huge church in Oklahoma. What yeah. a move, by the way, from New York City to Oklahoma. I'm laughing because, like, I'm from Oklahoma, and I know Tulsa, and Carl Lentz in Tulsa is cracking me up. Like, him yep. and his, like, cool outfit in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I, I guess he's probably in the very trendy part of Tulsa, but I'm still sort of laughing about from New York to Oklahoma. It is something. So, uh, I don't know. It feels like an important thing to keep bringing up these stories uh, because we care for the church. And so yeah, uh, yeah. I guess I would ask people out there, what do you expect from mm. your churches? What do mm. you expect from leadership? What are the most important traits? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's how you get to how you feel about a question like this. Mm. Aubrey, yeah. coming up next, the name Dylan Mulvaney has been all over the news as of late. Kind of one of the epicenters of the transgender debate. I want to have a discussion about Dylan Mulvaney and all that is encircling him right now here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Uh, Aubrey, we talk, we're going to talk next segment about uh, a comment about culture wars that I told you uh, a very devout Christian said to me, um, we're at war. Like now's not the oh, time. Oh, yeah, well, I, I, I can't wait to talk about that. We are at war. One of those, quote unquote, fronts of the war is around transgenderism right now. Uh, mm. I was in a group of people the other day, especially some older people, and multiple of them asked me about different stories about transgenderism. And, uh, you know, you got all these stories. We, we, you and I talked about Riley Gaines yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, one of the people at the epicenter of this currently is Dylan Mulvaney. Um, Dylan Mulvaney is... Uh, 
uh, transition from a male to a female. Yeah, huge uh, stop, TikTok star. Huge TikTok star. Um, but here's where the real uh, controversy with Dylan Mulvaney is coming currently. Dylan Mulvaney, as of late, has secured some really visible and really lucrative endorsements. Namely, in the last couple of weeks, uh, Dylan Mulvaney has become one of the faces of Bud Light, uh, Bud Light's oh. March Madness. And then the one that's really getting people, Aubrey, is Dylan Mulvaney has recently gotten a huge contract from Nike. Nike. Doing a, all things a lot of Nike's women's apparel, including sports bras. Whoa. And so it's been interesting, the pushback, especially around the Nike. Well, the Bud Light one, Kid Rock kind of went nuts with it. And mm. now all these people are like um, uh, changing their beer very publicly, right? Like, I'm Wow. Oh, like no longer Bud Light or whatever. Aubrey, the bigger one for me is Nike's women's apparel. Uh when you read, especially I read a tweet the other day about how Nike has not really been great with women endorsers. Yeah. Uh, and now that their yeah. biggest lines of Nike apparel are going to be headlined uh, by Dylan Mulvaney, uh, a transgender woman yeah. at the expense of all, you and I've talked a little bit about this. This feels like a, a, a mainstreaming of transgenderism, but it also feels like a slap in the face of these women athletes who can't get totally the same deals that all of these men athletes are getting. Totally. And that's what I, where I tend to go in a lot of these debates is like, are you kidding me? Like we haven't even, we haven't even give like biological women a chance. Like we have not even gotten to equality when it comes to like bio women. And now we're like, uh, platforming these transgender women, it still feels like patriarchal to me. And I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I, the heroes was wild. Caitlyn Jenner, who is, you know, arguably the most famous transgender celebrity actually called Nike out for this, right. said, said this on Twitter, as someone that grew up in awe of what Phil Knight did, it is such a shame to see an iconic American company go so woke. We can be ex inclusive, but not at the expense of the mass majority of people and have some decency while being inclusive. This is an outrage. I think th that's interesting hearing it coming from Caitlyn Jenner of all people. But I do. There's been enough... There've been enough women in sports that have been overlooked by organizations like Nike that this just feels like a slap in the face. And I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even think Dylan Mulvaney is an athlete. No, no, no. A TikTok star. A yeah, influencer. Yeah, influencer. A, and some people have pointed out I, Dylan Mulvaney seems to mock all of it, too. Like also a mm. comedian. Uh, British Olympic swimmer uh, Sharon Davies is leading a boycott of Nike as well. She said the move was a step back, quote unquote, yeah. after several sports bodies moved to give biological women their own protected category. The ad feels like a parody of yeah. what women are, she says. So it's just been interesting, like you said, um, some of the reaction. But can we just also just say you and I have been talking the last months about um, – the transgender conversation is moving into promotion. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's yeah. no bigger promotion than 
we at Nike, we at Anheuser-Busch or Budweiser, we at wherever think the best way for us to sell brands, because Nike's in the money business, right? Yeah. So they obviously made a calculation that said Dylan Mulvaney's going to sell more sports bras than person X or person Y. Bud Light, clearly, they could end up being 100% wrong. Right. It could backfire. But they obviously made the calculation. They didn't say, you know what we want to do? We want people to stop drinking our beer because we do this. Yeah. And this gets to what you and I have been talking about. There's a um, – do you? am I wrong? Am I overdramatic to say that it feels like only in the last months or year that we've jumped from acceptance of transgenderism to promotion? Um, like I, you did – you mentioned it feels like the patriarchy. And my first thought was, no, it feels like – it feels like transgenderism is moving yeah. up the ladder yeah. even yeah. above the women here. I, I think you're that's probably more accurate, although it feels like patriarchal to me because yeah. it's still men. It works you know, the same bio way. men. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, we've gone from like I would say 10, 20 years ago, we were still in kind of the tolerance phase, and then we got to accepting, and now it is certainly promoting and celebrating. And I think what is okay, here's we ought not to be surprised by this. As Christians, so I think like, okay, in one sense, let's all like take a deep breath and go, look, this is like, we knew we would be different than culture when it comes to our sexual ethic. Like Christians have always been different than culture in it. We've always have distinctives in some ways. And this is one of those ways that shouldn't surprise us. I think the question is like, then what, what's our response? What do we do? How do you, as we've been talking about forever, like how does the church love their transgender neighbor while standing firm on beliefs and maybe, I don't know, making decisions about these organizations. I don't know. I mean, it's hard. I'm hard pressed to think anybody just goes, I'm totally done with Nike now, but that may be what some people feel like is the right response. I don't know. What do you think about that, Brian? Yeah. I, I, again, it's hard to see. And Nike's got its issues, right? From how they make their shoes and and whatever else it might be. That's true. That's true. Um, you know, I, I'm not usually a big like protest person. Like, oh, that's going to yeah. make a difference, but it might if enough yeah, people. You might be right. I think the bigger deal is for us as Christians or just as a society to go. Okay, let's take stock of where we are. Yeah, and because things are changing, doesn't it feel like it's changing? Like, not it's no longer years; it's months. Like it's. It, uh, it, it feels very fast paced. And I maybe because we're in a bubble of some sorts, but it, it does. It feels like it's it is moving rapidly. This conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting uh, because there. this is the first time there's been an endorser, an influencer, huge pushback. Like you said, I will point out to people that probably not a good way to protest is how you saw people protesting the Bud Light. I think it's Bud Light stuff online. What do they do? Where they bought Bud Light and then dumped it out, you do know they're still getting the money for that. Right. You're still giving them money. Just <laughs> You're losing in that scenario, not them. So if you're going to protest, protest, right. I think this is going to be an evergreen topic for us, Aubrey, because I think it's just going to keep going and yeah. going and going. Yeah. And we're going to sit yeah. back in five years from now and go, whoa. Yeah. Like, how did yeah. we get there? And the church yeah. is going to need to wrestle with it. Yeah. And what does it mean to love your neighbor, but also stand up for what you believe, uh, how you believe God has created? So mm-hmm. uh, 
Uh, so speaking of that, I mentioned this yesterday and teased it a little bit earlier. Conversation I had with somebody who said, now's not the time for civility because we are, quote, at war as Christians. And I want to have that conversation next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. All right, Aubrey, I was uh, with a bunch of people the other day, and I'll keep it a little vague so as uh, not to out anybody, but I was with okay. a uh, group of people the other day, uh, other Christians, uh, and we were talking a lot about what you and I were just discussing uh, oh. in the last segment, transgenderism and more so what's going on in our culture, the trajectory. So what comes up in those things? Uh, I think it is, you know, what's the conversations? It's what's going on in our schools. Yeah, right. It's what's going on in the media, in shows, what's going on, and then it bleeds down to churches, about sexuality, about transgenderism, about other things. And that's why a lot of people are pulling their kids from schools. And uh, just to be fair and lay all my cards on the table, we removed our son and our daughter from, or next year our daughter, but our son, we decided to put him into private Christian school this year for many reasons. Uh, but some of what we're going to discuss here. Yeah, yeah. And so the question becomes not only what do we do as Christians, but what should our posture be? Um, so all that to say, I will set it up. And we were having a conversation, and this one particular person uh, got really worked up, like oh. visibly angry. And she said, I'm tired I don't have time for civility. We are at war mm. and they're coming for our kids. Mm. So that was the comment. And I got to be honest, it took the oxygen out of the room. <laughs> I am sure it we did. Weren't, because here's why. We weren't having a, a uh, we weren't having a very um, heated conversation yeah it was a bunch of church people not not my church but a bunch of big c church people uh sitting around kind of like talking politics talking with all of this stuff and she got angry we're at wow. war and they're coming after our kids therefore now's not the time to be civil other words that have been used are winsome right. other words right. like that probably so Put yourself in that situation. I don't. I didn't know her well enough to really engage the conversation. To be honest with you, uh, we all kind of uh, pushed it to something else. <laughs> but uh, take that. I'm sure you've heard stuff like that. I, oh, I what's, definitely, I definitely have. I have a lot of. Response? I have a lot of How? friends and family members and neighbors that would say we are at war. Yeah. What's the response? Uh, okay. I need to probably wrestle with this a little bit. I'm not sure why, but I don't tend to like that attitude. Okay. Um, and I think the part is the, the, so therefore we don't need to be civil. I think that's the part I struggle with. I think it is one thing to say we are at war, meaning evil is warring against us. Culture is warring against the church. Um, there are certain things we, we vehemently disagree on the, christians and pop culture like so to say there is a war there is a battle sure yes like i can sort of sometimes understand that kind of rhetoric mm -hmm. but i think what it leads you to as a christian is where i tend to disagree like i don't think 
therefore we are no longer civil and no longer love our neighbors and no longer honor the Imago Dei and people we disagree with. Like, I just don't think that's what Jesus did. When we see Jesus standing up to people, it is the religious Pharisees, right? It it Mm. is the people that he drew close to were the sinners that the Pharisees would have said they were at war with. Now, Jesus always called people from their sin. And so I don't want to ignore that either, but that's who Jesus was loving and caring for and building relationships with and then transforming. And so I, what does it mean to have Christ likeness? If you think you're at war, if you think you're at war, that's the question. Is it like, take up your, like your weaponry and start fighting and like destroying, or is it something else? And I tend to think it is winsomeness and, loving your neighbors and thoughtfulness while still holding on to your Christian ethics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do any of us do this perfectly? No, but I also generally do I have this attitude like we are at war. I, I don't know. I mean, yes, in the spiritual sense, but I don't know if I mean it in the same way, like this person meant it in the conversation you were having. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, uh, I agree with you on the sense of, uh, we know from Paul's words that we are at war with the forces of evil, right? Mm-hmm. And I do believe some of this conversation and the trajectory of our culture uh, is is evil. It's it's not of God. Absolutely. The danger of warfare metaphors when it relates to people is that when I say I'm at war some with somebody, then I am necessarily saying that person is my enemy Mm, right? and I will treat them as such. Right. I can say that I will treat their idea and in their teaching as uh, evil as um, not godly, something to be warred against. Mm -hmm. But when I start attributing that to people, specific people, the war imagery and the war discussion causes me to see others as enemies. And I don't think that the way of Jesus was to um, to treat people as enemies. Like you said, the people he most pushed back of were the religious ones. Mm-hmm. But and I know it's 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 parsing words a little bit, but when people are our enemies, uh, I could treat them really badly and yeah. I could disregard them. I can right. um be abusive and mean. That's what this person was saying. I'm not willing to be civil with people I yeah. disagree with. And I don't see that, right? The fruits of the spirit are things like love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, Gentleness. goodness. Yeah. And I don't see anywhere where Paul says, show the fruits of the spirit only to people you agree with. Well, it and that's what I was just thinking. Like, let's say categorically these people, these ideologies, whatever, are your enemy. What's What step does Jesus tell us to do with our enemies? Love mm. them. Jesus gave himself up for his enemies. And so even if you put your, the people you disagree with in that category as a Christian, like the step further is therefore love them. Uh, And I think that we can't, people might be thinking, but we're supposed to fight back against him. I think we could do both. Mm, Hey, I'm going to tell you why, what I think, and we're going to talk about it in churches and we're going Mm -hmm. to stand up for we're going to we're going to stand up at school board meetings if we see stuff that, that that isn't right. We're going to whatever else it might be. The Dylan Mulvaney conversation with Nike we just had. Yeah. At the same time, 
the the neighbor of mine or the other person who believes this stuff, I could say, but I'm going to show you Christ-like love. I'm going to show you compassion. I'm going to show you if you're ever in need, I'm going to be there for you. If people are coming after yeah. you, I'm going to stand up for yes. you. Warfare, warfare discussion. I get it. The Bible talks about we're in a battle. We're in a war. Uh, I don't believe it attributes that to to specific peoples, individuals. And, yeah, and yeah. that is where we have to be careful. I think yeah. to view other people in the quote unquote war as enemy combatants mm. begins to give me license to treat them in ways mm. that I don't believe are Christ-like or the fruits yeah. of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we've parsed those enough because I think it's yes, I do think we are in a war against evil. Uh, yep. And and the trajectory of our culture is troublesome. Yes. Uh, but how do we as Christians then live within there? So there we yeah. go. Okay. Yep. I think you nailed it, Brian. We got it. We solved we all it. the problems. Well, guess what? We're probably going to have to have that conversation again. <laughs> you think? Not done now? Okay. <laughs> it's probably coming. Coming up next, let's tackle all the difficult topics today, Aubrey. What exactly does it mean to be fully pro-life womb to tomb what does it mean that all of us as christians or most of us say we want to be pro-life we're going to discuss that next year on the common good am 1160 hope for your life uh all right aubrey we're going to jump in all the hard topics today let's talk pro-life all right let's do it we got thinking about this from an article our producer sent us from cnn about maternity wards closing across america Mm. uh which i didn't expect to see like a maternity war. People are always having babies, maybe less babies or whatever else it might be. Yeah. Then there's also the dueling stories right now about the abortion pill uh, that the FDA approved 23 years ago, but a federal judge in Texas uh, basically shot it down. And now oh. people are like, well, what's going to happen with this? But there was another judge, I believe, out on the West Coast, I could be wrong about that, who was like, ruled something differently. So the abortion pill is becoming a big deal. But I want to broaden this, Aubrey, and ask about pro-life movement in general. Okay. Uh, We as pastors like to use the term, mostly because it rhymes, that (laughs) we want to be pro-life from, quote, womb to tomb. And uh, You're kind of right. It's mostly because it rhymes, but it's also true. We also believe it. Somewhere we got to get room in there. Somehow that Ooh, room fits. Like, room uh, tomb to all the and everything in between. Nope, nope, doesn't work. Nope, you doesn't failed work. it. Okay. You failed it. Yep. Your pastoring right, was terrible going. there. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Normally, uh, when we think of pro-life, we think of abortion. And rightfully right. so. That's mm-hmm. kind of the tip of the spear. Yep. And anybody who's listened to this show knows how passionately Aubrey and I feel about the pro-life abortion issue. Yeah. Uh, we've had people on the show. We want to support um, pregnancy centers like Caring Network and other things. Um, but Aubrey, unpack for people what you mean when you say, but we want to be pro-life from womb to tomb. Yeah. And I, I actually think Easter is a great time to talk about this because um, – Jesus, of course, overcame death and gives us all life. And so anything, when I say pro-life, I mean anything that leads to death is not pro-life. So, Mm. um, and I even, I'm going to go so far as to say, I even mean that like emotionally, I mean that spiritually, like, but certainly I mean that um, in politically and and legally. And so when we talk about, for instance, um, the death penalty, 
it's mm-hmm. hard for me to be a pro-life Christian and understand pro-life Christians who are pro-death penalty because that leads to death in my mind. And so just anything that doesn't give life, anything that steals life, I would say is not pro-life. So what we're going to talk about here is uh, like care for the pregnant mom Mm. needs to look holistic in order to be truly pro-life. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, the pro-life, because it has just become kind of a tag, right? That has political connotations, spiritual, yeah, all sorts of things. Yeah. I want to think it in terms of a lens through which we look at everything. Mm. So um, when when we are having a debate, a debate, a discussion about abortion, I want to go, uh, is this pro-life? Is this for life? Is this um, this? But we also want to have those conversations when we have conversations about end of life. Yep. We want to, when you have conversations about uh, the death penalty, Mm -hmm. immigration, poverty, uh, whatever else it might be. I think to be truly pro-life and people can come to, I want to say there's not a monolithic answer to these topics. Sure. But what I do want to say is we want to go, how does this promote life in the least of these, to use Jesus's terms? Yeah. How does it promote the flourishing of everybody? Is this benefiting me but robbing from others? Mm, like what right. are and, – and, you know, we're usually self-centered people. I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself there who go, what does this mean for me mm. and my life? Mm. And, again, immigration – I mean, I love having Matthew Sorens and on so uh, Matthew Sorens on and everything, but I don't understand though it's best. I don't know what's best, but yeah. what does it mean to take a pro-life ethic to the immigration debate? That's it. That might lead you to say we have to do this, and other, someone else say we have to do that. Mm-hmm. But the death penalty, cover, all of these things. But don't you think we've probably gotten too narrow where just because pro-life abortion might be the biggest one, it's become the only one. I agree. I think we've, we've way reduced what it means to be a, a quote pro-life person or pro-life Christian. Karen Swallow Pryor actually talks about this quite a lot too. Like even when she talks about like, let's look for beauty in the world. Let's um, consider the goodness of God when we read, you know, everything that we read and when we consume social media and when we, all of that, we need to look through that pro-life lens as you're talking about a pro-life hermeneutic is a interesting way to think about it too. Yep. Like where is God at work in the world bringing life? And as quote pro-life Christians, that's what we are to be passionate about and pursuing. And then anything that leads away from that or leads to death. I mean, again, I think social media is a great example of this. Like we see that the anxiety rates of our teenagers are going up, leading to depression, leading to a suicide rate going so high. And of course, social media is one part of that. It's not the whole picture, but like, okay, at what point is social media leading to death? Then I think Mm. we've got some questions to think about if we are truly pro-life Christians. That's right. That's right. Uh, And I think where we can end this pastorally is to say, Jesus was pro-life, right? He was, he was there for the, for the disabled and the prostitutes who were just totally looked down on in their day, right? The, the sick and the poor, Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus wanted the flourishing of the least of these. Yes. Uh, and he was willing to ruffle feathers of the Pharisees and mm-hmm. others. Um, anywhere where I'm putting myself above other people, 
I think we're starting to go against the Jesus mm. ethic that says, wow. um, put others before yourself. Think about the least of these. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. And so yeah. I think it becomes hard, though. We're getting into a political season. Elections are coming around. Uh, what are we? We're heading towards a presidential election. Whew. It'll be here before we know it. Brian, how, I know. How do we think about the policies that we care about? Yeah. How yeah. do we choose our politicians? Uh, what are the things that matter? I think all of that's going to come. So, man, we tackled some hard ones today. Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.